He said, you want to see it? I said, oh, that's fine. You can do it. I don't need to see it. Then that music came on. Dun, dun, dun. I had a whole different setup. I was going to come up here. I'm like, I got to change all that now because that's a pretty peppy little tune. Nice. I like it. Good morning. <laughs> I was like, just tell him I'm going to give my testimony. I'm just going to jump up there. I'm just going to rip it. I'm just going to go for it. But I can't now because it was this nice peppy music. So I have to do this kind of like transition thing now. So here we are, transitioning. So, uh, I don't get to speak in chapel very often. So this is a great privilege for me. Um, and you're going to hear a little bit of that, hopefully, through this presentation this morning. Uh, as I was sitting here and uh, just enjoying worship, uh, there, was, there was something I did last time I was in chapel. Last time I did a thing in chapel, I drew a picture that was my notes, and I put it on my, and I had no words on it. It was, just a, it was just a picture, and I made this mistake, it wasn't really a mistake, to tell students that I really feel like God has given me a prophetic gift and, and this kind of this prophetic um, thing that I don't even know what it is, and, and that I think in pictures, and I, so I showed this picture, and I said, so I'm going to preach this picture. And that's what I did. And then afterwards, people started coming up to me and saying, do you have something more for me? And I'm like, I don't know what. I don't know, that was it. I gave you my best. And it's like, you sure? Do you want to pray about it? Can I be on your email? Can you send, do you have a newsletter that you send out? I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I went into, into the cafeteria and someone else came up to me. I'm like, why do people? Oh, I said the P word. That's the problem. The P word, the prophetic word thing, you know. So I've learned to really kind of figure that bit out, but it is something that uh, I'm, I'm wrestling with in my own ministry journey of when you get given gifts, what do you do with them, and how do you share them, and how do you talk about them? And so you have to step out in faith, and you've got to do these things. So this is something I've been wrestling with, this prophetic kind of word. Now, if you're in a counselor, it's a really cool tool to have. If you're a spirit-filled counselor, you want to be a spirit-filled therapy, being prophetic, that's a good thing, right? When you can get a word from the Lord that no one else knows and you can kind of say, I think this is going on, that's a handy tool, right? It's like, man, how do you know that stuff? It's like, because if you stay in tune with the word and you stay in tune with what God's doing, he can open your eyes to things that people don't know. But the same thing is you've got to speak it out if that's there. And I was getting ready to share this morning. I'm sitting over there and I just, it was not... I'm going to share my testimony, which I haven't done at North Central in the 14 years I've been here, but I felt like this was the right thing to do. And when we talked before I knew we were going to do these testimonies, now it's like just this testimony day. So that's kind of cool. And then I realized, I was kind of sitting there like, why do we give our testimony, Lord? And he kind of dropped that uh, Revelation 12:11 that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of that testimony, right? And then I also felt him tell me, saying, because someone needs to hear your testimony today. Someone needs your story. You probably don't all need it. Some of you are just going to think, that was a cool story. Thanks. Great. Others are going to be like, that story has greatly impacted me. To those people, my word to you as it is today in this, this presentation, come back tomorrow. That's the prophetic word, I believe, that God has for us today is come back tomorrow. It was a title to what I was talking about, but God said, no, it's not a title. It's something they need to hear. The people need to hear this word, and it's, the word is come back tomorrow. 10.30 p.m. 
2001-ish, somewhere in there, right? I was working full-time in the belly of the beast. Uh, I worked at Lakeland Regional Hospital, a psychiatric hospital in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, I was down there attending seminary, and I was having a purpose crisis. You can call it a calling crisis. You can call it a ministry crisis. Sometimes it's just a purpose crisis. Like, what is my purpose? And I'm, I'm sitting in this hospital. I just finished my shift, and I'm really struggling because I've done six years of my life. I've left Australia. I've come over. I've gone to school in Iowa. I've come down to Springfield. I go to seminary. I'm pursuing this thing called ministry. I'm pursuing this thing I think God wants me to do. And I'm in this psychiatric hospital, and I'm in the emergency room where I've been for now over a year. I'm talking to a friend of mine who's also a seminarian, and I said, I don't think I'm supposed to be a pastor anymore. And he's like, why? And I said, because I'm having a crisis. And this might sound a bit weird, but I don't know how else to say it, because it's kind of not true, but it sounds weird. I don't care if people get saved. And I said, I like it when people get saved. I want them to, them to get saved, but I have this care issue. Like, if I'm going to be a part, I feel like it's so fundamental to the job, right? Especially if you're at a Pentecostal seminary, Right? I'm like, I get up and speak, and I don't want to give an altar call, and I don't know why. And I would pray about it, and I'd always feel weird giving these altar calls. And I was like, what's going on? And I was thinking, I don't think I'm supposed to be a pastor. And in that hospital emergency room, in that moment, in the strangest place, suddenly, God showed up. He showed up by this man, Alan White, who's a guy from New York who worked the overnight shift. He was an African-American guy, and he was all that, right? He had very opinionated on all kinds of things. I learned a lot of things about New York people from my friend Alan, right? And he said to me, do you believe in the army of the Lord? And I said, yeah, absolutely. He goes, do you believe in taking back the enemy's camp? I'm like, yeah, I sang that song. I believe in that, right? I've led that worship song. I do. I believe this stuff. I believe in the kingdom. I had set out to this thing. They say, but I'm really struggling because I go to seminary and I don't know what I'm doing there anymore. And he said to me, maybe you're not called to carry a gun in this army. Maybe you're not called to kick down and clear out the gates of hell. Maybe God is calling you to be a medic in the army of the Lord. Changed my life. Changed my life. My journey started when I was 16, and uh, I was at a church uh, in my hometown of Perth, Western Australia. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It's pretty typical for a 16-year-old. I happened to be working at KFC, Right? We have that. I was in Australia this summer, and I said, I, worked at K- I went to KFC in America. And they said, they have KFC in America. And I'm like, do you know what KFC stands for? You know, it's Kentucky. For- do you know where Kentucky is? I didn't know Kentucky was a place, right? It's like, yeah, it's American. It came to Australia. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, funny things. So anyway, but I worked at KFC, 
And uh, that was fine. I was just going to my home. It was a night service. My pastor got up, and he was giving his testimony, and he was doing things, and I'm listening. And, and he basically said he worked at KFC when he was a kid. And he made this comment, like, you don't know anything until you've burned yourself on one of those electrodes that you stick your hand in to clean out where they cook the chicken. When you get one of those burns, you really know burns. And he said, basically, if you're called to be at KFC, you're called to be a pasta. That'll catch your attention. And uh, at the end of that service, uh, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was calling me into ministry. So I went forward. It was amazing. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. It was great. It was, a, it was a great thing. But, of course, when that happens, then you're on fire, and now you're going to do it. In Australia, you can quit school at 10th grade. At least you used to be able to. I think you still can. That's kind of neat, right? And you can go to tech school, right? Or you could go to Bible college, right? So you could leave. So I'm like, that's it, man. I'm cold. I can quit school. That's like salvation right there. You know, I can go and I start getting people saved. That would be great. Uh, so I, I started, I went to my pastor and I sat down with him and I said, listen, I called the ministry. I want to do this. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go to Bible college. And he says, don't do it. I'm like, what? And he says, finish school. Finish your high school stuff. And he said, and then get a job, a nine to five job. Because if you're going to preach to the nine-to-five person, know what the nine-to-five person is going through every day, right? I don't, you guys will say that's good. It's not good. I'm ready to go. I thought I could get out of school. Oh, Yo, yeah, that's good. That's a good word. You know, it's like, yeah, I wasn't thinking that. It is a good word. So I'm like, okay, so then I went back, I took that wisdom, and then I started everything I could do ministry. I started a Bible study in my school, and I, started, I, I, I was a basketball player right? There's remnants of that on Friday mornings, if you're ever confused as to why I'm in the basketball court. But I was a basketball player. I quit basketball. I took up guitar. I started leading worship in children's church, doing the actions, doing anything I could do to get into ministry, right? Because I was going to Bible college, right? Then a young lady came to my school and told me about a school in America called Dort College in Sioux Center, Iowa. Maybe you got some stuff from them at one point, right? Now, this is before internet, so you can't Google them, right? You can't, I mean, it was internet. It was one at my mom's work, and I had to go, and there was, you'd, you'd type in www. and we didn't know what that stood for, right, back then. And, uh, and you'd see, like, four pages. That was about it, and it was very exciting. And, uh, and I'd heard about this school called Dort College in, in America, and I knew that God was saying go there, but I didn't know why. And I said, what am I going to do at Dort College? And I looked, and I was thinking about what this pastor had said to me. And I really felt that he said I had to stay at school, which I didn't really want to do. But then I was like, if I'm going to go to this college thing, if, I'm gonna, if this is where I feel God's calling, what am I going to do there? And, and I thought, I need to get a job. I need to get something. Because he told me, it's like, if you've you got three things in here. You've got God's first Family second, church third. Don't get those out of order, which I'd never heard that before, but that was a good thing. He goes, because those are all dependent on each other. So keep those in order. And he said, now, you have, if you're between churches, you're between, you've got to have a tent-making job. Paul had a tent-making job. Jesus had a tent-making job, right? He, had a, he was a carpenter. How are you going to support your ministry? You might be blessed with a great church that's going to support you, but if you can't, how are you going to do that, right? How are you going to do those things? Have some skills. Ugh, that's not what I want to hear either. And I kept feeling like God kept saying to me, come back tomorrow. All right. 
So I come back and I decide, all right, so I'm going to go and I decide that there's a big story about how I got to Dort and how that worked. But I decided to go to Dort and I was going to study social work. Yeah, I was going to study social work. Some of you guys have heard this story because I shared it last, last week at a, at a thing, breakout. I studied social work and I was the only male social worker in my program to start with. Constantly being recruited by the psychology department, being told that men do psychology, girls do social work. I said, I don't want to be a social worker. I want to be a pastor. Now, I studied social work because as a pastor, I was deathly afraid of Monday to Friday. Sunday is fine. Wednesday night, that's fine. That doesn't bother me. Standing up in front of this is not my worst fear in the world. This is fine. What do you do when someone comes in on Tuesday and says they've been evicted from their house and I got no food and I don't know what to do about my kids? I'm like, I don't know. Let me see if eviction's in here somewhere. It's not in there. Like, I don't know how to do this, right? So I was like, well, if I learned how to be a social worker, I'd learn all these skills that I actually need Monday to Friday in the church, and then I'd be a really cool pastor. Yeah, I really do that. So I went and did social work and uh, was outspoken in this idea that I wasn't going to be a social worker. I did theology on the side just to keep my life in check. Because <laughs> that was enjoyable, right? So I'm at a, I'm at a at Dort. If you don't know Dort, it's a Calvinistic school. So I'm like this Pentecostal guy sitting in the front row, saying, "Do you think the Lord still speaks to us today?" You know, and they're like, "Well, we don't talk about that here." Well, yeah, I know, but I just want to be that guy in the front row that asks those hard questions, right? That was me. I go to so- I do the social work. I graduate with my social work degree at the end of four years, and I realize this: Who is ever going to hire a social worker to be a pastor? Come back tomorrow. This is getting really old. I keep doing what I think God's called me to do. When I was in my undergrad, I was preaching as much as I could at my youth group, right? I was leading mission trips. I was an, I was an RA. I was, uh, helped out with uh, student activities. I was on the worship team. I mean, I was doing anything. You give me a microphone and a Bible and a pulpit, I was up there. But I got to the... Uh, Seminary decided, okay, well, I can come back tomorrow. What do I do now? I went to seminary. I went down to Springfield because I felt like, okay, well, I better get a church thing behind me. So I figured I'll go to seminary. So we go to seminary. What I kind of figured out is no one actually asks what you do at seminary. You just tell them you went, and then they just call you pastor. You know, I went to seminary. Oh, do we call you pastor, reverend, priest? What, what do we, how do we categorize that? It's like, well, however you want, right? So I figured if I went to to a, a seminary that I could get licensed at, then I could work in the field if I wanted to, or I could go to a church. And if I went to the field, I had my master's in counseling. That's what I studied at, at the seminary. I had my master's in professional counseling. Or if I went to a church, I have my master's from the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. Right? Well, please, step right on in. Right? So that was kind of my thought in my head. And so I really felt like God said, I don't care where you go, that this is what you have to do. So I went down there. I got involved with the church down there. And that was where I figured out I couldn't preach. Because I listened to my own sermons. And I'm like, I wouldn't go to my own church. You don't preach well. You don't care if people get saved. (laughs) Talk about, you know, changing majors, right? We got a, a problem. Never once did I ever forget what God had called me to do. It just didn't make sense. I went down there. I actually benched myself from filling the pulpit because, you know, small country churches are desperate for preachers, so they'll just call you whether you're good or not. You know, I'm going out. I need you to come. Okay, I'll come. And I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I've got to figure out what my role is, what my purpose is, what my position is in the kingdom, and I'm really struggling with this crisis. 
come back tomorrow. I went in Springfield, I walked into this hospital because that's a place you could get a job. And I thought I'd get this job as what's known as a psychiatric technician. Uh, they work on the units with, and this, this is a 110 bed uh, facility for children aged four to 18. Um, and I went in there just to get some menial job that I could do while I was going to seminary. And they said, I notice on your application that you have a bachelor of social work degree. Yes, I do. But I don't want to be a social worker. I want to be a pasta. <laughs> right? No, but I noticed that's on here. We would like to put you down in the emergency room uh, to field all the calls and manage all the crisis stuff. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not what I'm supposed to do. That sounds really scary. Right? Um, I really want this job. And he goes, well, this job will pay you $9.50 an hour. That only pays you 8 bucks an hour. It's like, well, for $9.50, maybe you can talk me into it. So I went down into the emergency room. And that's where I lived for the next two and a half years. God put me in this place, and there was about nine people that worked down there. Five of them were seminarians. The other three, well, there's three. There was one guy from Louisiana. He was this kind of what he considered, I'm not like anybody down here. And then I had three people who actually um, were, two of them were lesbians, and one of them was a homosexual man. And I loved all the people I worked with. And I was in the belly of this weird beast, dealing with really messed up situations on the phone, running up and down stairs with people in crisis on a locked facility where people came in strapped to beds and handcuffed and just the saddest stories I've ever heard in a very strange world of people I'm working with. And then I have this crisis. I'm not in a church. I'm not any closer to being in a church. I'm a long way away from home, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And God keeps telling me to come back tomorrow. When I went to AGTS, they said you could do licensed professional counseling or marriage and family therapy. And I said, what's the difference? I don't really care. I just want to be positive. But tell me what the difference is. Oh, well, the licensed professional counselor, can, you can get licensed in 45 states. Oh. This one in the marriage and family therapy, you can get licensed in 30 states. Oh, I'll take 45. Thanks, Bob. Give me that one, right? So I took the 45. That seemed like a good idea to me. Let's take the 45. More deal. So I go. That's fantastic. It's great. It's a phenomenal license if you move to one of the 45 states. <laughs> but at the end of our time, we believe that God was calling us to Minneapolis, which is not one of those 45 states. <clears throat> so I called my dad. My dad happens to be a child psychologist. So I call him. And I'm like, Dad, this is kind of a bit of a problem. I've just spent all this money, all this time, and I can't get licensed in this state. What am I supposed to do? And he told me, he said, God never called you to be a therapist. If you were going to be a therapist, you should have stayed home. God called you to be a pastor. If God's calling you there, go to Minneapolis. God will take care of it. All right. So, up we go. I got up here, and I worked. I couldn't get a job because I came in December, but, uh, you know, that's a hard time to get any employment. But I, I, I was down. I was leading worship at AGTS, and the guy down there, uh, uh, Jay Taylor, took me out for lunch just to thank me for the, what I'd done. And he said, what are you doing? I'm moving to Minneapolis. Oh, what are you going to do there? I have no idea. I can't get licensed there. Um, just, we're just going up there because my family's wife lives there, and we went up there. We felt like that's where we're meant to be, but I have no idea. And he says, you need to call... 
a lady by the name of Wendy Wirtz. And if you've been here for a while, you might remember Wendy Wirtz. Um, she's the dean of community life at a, town, at a school called North Central. Never heard of it. I know that's no surprise to you, but some people say that they've never heard of this place, right? Hopefully, you're changing that culture. But I hadn't heard of it either, so I came in here, and I literally picked up a phone and said, I was told to come and meet with you. So I came in to meet with Wendy Wirtz after I had taken a job at a little place down the road from where I lived. It was a 26-bed uh, dual diagnosis treatment facility for children, well, kids aged 12 to 18, almost identical to the one that I worked in down there, except one was a hospital and one was a treatment center. And uh, I took this job because it was a job and I could do it, and I absolutely hated it. In fact, I diagnosed myself as depressed during that time. I didn't want to, I couldn't sleep. I hated going to work. We could eat at this treatment center. We could eat for free. That was a good deal. Except I couldn't eat because I felt like I wanted to throw up the whole time I'm there. I just was ill. Now, I could do the job. I loved the kids, but I avoided them as much as I could because I just couldn't handle being there. Why have you brought me all the way here to live in this misery? My wife actually got an application, I kid you not, to Outback Steakhouse and bought it home. And I believe that I could have done quite well at Outback Steakhouse, Right? and help you with all of the things that are not true on that menu. We have no idea what a blooming onion is. Never seen it, heard of it, right? We don't call them fries. We call them chips. So whatever those things they're giving you are Americanized somethings. I don't know what they are, right? But I thought it could be fun, right? That would be good. A lot less stressful. But God had me in this, this other place. And in that place, I called down to North, to North Central. I said, can I come meet? And I met with... Wendy Wirtz, and she said, can you come back in a week and meet with Vice President Mike Noss? I said, I'll meet with anyone you want, <laughs> you know, and so I came in, and I kid you not, when I came in that first day, I walked in right over here in CLC, uh, right in the lobby there, because I'm lost, and I don't know where I am, and uh, Judy Jones, who's still here, said, go over the, to the student development, it's over there somewhere, kind of thing, and I got lost on my way over, and some wonderful North Central student took me there, good idea to take guests where they need to go, it's helpful, but when I walked in here, I said, this was it. God's going to put me here. I don't know when, I don't know how, but this is where I'm going to be. Six months later, I started as the first full-time therapist at North Central in 2003. Two years later, we built the Student Success Center, which then has done very well for itself and has been a model that has been modeled by other students, things we didn't know. We were doing things, and that when I came in six months into being here, I put a, I put a proposition for cabinet. I said, why have we got these segregated service things? We had academic support. We had this new counseling thing. We had career, and we had disability. It was all kind of jumbled. And I said, you know, people are struggling, and when they get to one place, it takes so much courage to walk in just to ask one person how to get my needs met. And if you tell me I need to go somewhere else, I'm not coming back ever. We need to get these centralized. We need to do that. And we need to break down the stigma. How are we going to do that? You may not know this, but the Student Success Center is built and based off a psychiatric hospital. And that's not to say it's because it's greasy people go there. <laughs> it's because that's where I went. That's where I was. In a place where I didn't know what in the world I was doing. And God said... Come back tomorrow. 
For those of you who know me, I'm a movie nut. So you got to watch this clip. First Samuel 17 and 34, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off his sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Outside these doors, there's a leadership fair, and you can bring the lights up. Uh, And outside these doors are lions and bears and fences that need to be painted and cars that need to be waxed, things that need to be done that seem really frustrating and super annoying. But don't miss what God wants to do through these things for what he's called you for in the future. I'm going to finish with giving you four things that I took away. This job here at North Central is the best pastoring job I can have. My wife would agree because we have our weekends most of the time too, right? I love it. I get to do what I'm gifted to do. But here's the things that I live my life by. Number one, though I may be best friends with Jesus, I am not allowed to finish his sentences, right? Oh, we're so best friends, man. I like we know each other's sentences. Yeah, I know what you're saying. You don't. You might be best friends with Jesus, but you're not that good of friends. When God called me to say, you're going to be a pastor, I said, yeah, I know, at a pulpit, in front of people, and doing this, and doing that, and doing it this way. He said, lock wrists, right? Don't tell me what I, you know, he, I called you to be a pastor. You filled in the rest. Always looking high. <laughs> All right? Number two, to do what I do, and some of you might look and say, I want to do what this guy does. Or you might have a pastor. I want, I want, I want to do what President Hagen does or did. Maybe they don't want to do what you do now. Maybe they want to do what you did. I don't know. But, you know, you look at people and you say, I want to do what they do. Am I willing to go through what they went through in order to do what they do? Right? You don't just get to come and do this. You got to go through stuff like we all went through stuff. You got to give up to go up. Number three, live out your hidden years in such a way that your visible years make the greatest impact. This painting here, it's not a painting, it's a picture, right? Quick story on this, was painted by a lady that I cannot remember her name because she signed it with her art name down there and it's not her actual name. She was a professing atheist who worked in the psychiatric hospital with me on the night shift. A lady came to the seminary and she said, we live 100% of our life trying to live like Jesus's three years that we know, which is 10% of his because we don't know a whole lot about his 30 years we don't know. Those were his hidden years. You are in your hidden years, but you spend most of our time trying to want to be visible. So we've heard the iceberg analogy before that 90% of it's under the water. And I'm like, man, I got to have that. So I said to a lady who is a phenomenal artist in our uh, emergency room, I said, can you paint me this picture? And I want to superimpose this potter's hands, which was the front cover of the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary's catalog. And I said, I want you to superimpose that under there because I want it on my wall that I will never forget that it's the 90% under the water that's invisible that makes the 10% that people can see when God pulls you out of the water and lets people see you. It's what's under the water that's going to make the out of the water the most 
effective. Live your hidden years in such a way that your visible years can make the greatest impact. And the final thing, which is a new thing I've just added to my things I live by from a book called Gist, great book. There's a big difference between fun and joy. They are not synonymous. But we are programming people to say, hey, did you have fun today? Was it fun? Was leadership fun? Did you have a fun time? Right? My daughter is a swimmer. She's 12. She's a swimmer. And I talked to her about this. I said, honey, you're having fun swimming four days a week for an hour and a half. Not really. It's not as good as last year when we kind of messed around and stuff. And I'm like, we don't have to do it, honey. She said, no, no, no. When she gets in the pool, her whole countenance changes. She loves swimming, but it's not fun. It brings her joy. It was for the joy of the Lord gives us strength, not the fun, right? So sometimes you've got to do things out. You've got to ask, does this give me joy? It doesn't always have to be fun, okay? And as we saw in there, always look at eye. Don't look at your feet. Keep your focus on the cross. Keep your focus on what the king has asked you to do. Because you do this and this and this. Always looking eye. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for these students. I thank you for these leaders. And regardless of whether they select and choose to be in leadership in this capacity here, they are leaders. They are people of influence. Even when they say nothing. They are people of influence because they are image bearers of you. The Father, I pray that the words of this testimony and the words of those that were shared in that little video would impact these students in, in a way that you need them to be impacted today. God, I pray that if there needs to be this prophetic word in someone's life that says, come back tomorrow, Lord, that you would seal it in their heart because they are thinking of quitting, they're thinking of turning away, they're thinking of leaving, they're asking, where are you? I thought we had a plan, I thought I knew what was going on, and it seems like it's not working out, it seems like nothing is going the way it's supposed to be. I hate the pain, I hate the suffering, I hate this, I don't want to do it anymore. May they hear the words, come back tomorrow. May they look at the sheep of the field and not see them as a waste of time, but see them as a place to prepare them for something much greater, something much bigger, so that when your suddenly comes into their life, they will know it's all been for this purpose. So, Lord, go with each one. Give them strength in these final days as we work towards exams and finishing semester strong. Encourage us and help us to encourage one another, we pray in your name. Amen. Please check in a table out there and sign up for something. <laughs>